Thanks for downloading the 21st in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we are recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith. My co-host for this series of interviews is Taito's founder, Brendan Craigie. And today we are thrilled to be joined online from close to Amsterdam, uh, by Job van de Voort, uh, CEO and co-founder of Remote. Founded in 2019 to simplify how companies employ global talent, Remote raised $150 million uh, Series B fund round in July 2021, and that brought its total fundraising to $196 million, reaching a $1 billion valuation and making it the fifth unicorn to be founded in Portugal. Welcome to the show, Job. Thanks. Do you want to start by just giving a, a quick introduction to the business yeah uh, you, you described this pretty well so what remote does is it solves the fundamental problem of i want to hire someone that lives in a different country and so what we do is we make that possible and the way we make that possible is we have entities all over the world and in those entities and through those entities we can provide local employment we can provide payroll benefits and anything else that comes with hiring someone locally. And that's what we do for a large part now, and by now a very large part of the world, and for thousands of different companies. Now, if I've got this right, doing my bit of research, your background, you're a neuroscientist. So how do you go from sort of studying that and, and that background to creating a, a company that enables hiring employees anywhere in the world? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a long journey. I was in neuroscience, which I liked very much, but science is very slow. So I eventually left it to start my own startup, which went nowhere because uh, I had no money and it ran out really quickly, the little that I had. And did a bunch of other things, ended up at GitLab as a programmer, I did support programming and eventually led their product for five years. And in that time, we built GitLab from a tiny team to a very large company fully remotely. We had people in 67 different countries all over the world. And the one thing we faced and we struggled with was the problem that we solved today with remote. So that's, that's, that's essentially the journey. So kind of feels like over the past 18 months or so, Job, that there's been this incredible transformation in terms of how people view the idea of, of remote work at scale from being a curious thing that, that some companies do to something which obviously, you know, loads and loads of companies do today. But there's probably still some skeptics out there. And I'm just kind of wondering, how do you convince those people out there that are still skeptical about the benefits of like remote and hybrid models or or do you not bother trying to convince them or that, that's it i don't bother i don't have to because the weight of the decision does not lie with the employers anymore it's the individuals that choose to set the standard by their feet or less so in the pajamas nowadays um what we're seeing is that employers that don't embrace you know, the ability to hire anybody from anywhere to build a team that is the best people you can find rather than the best people that happen to be close to your office. What we find is that employers that don't do that, they're going to miss out on talent and their talent is going to leave their company. You might have heard about the great resignation and that really is happening. We see it everywhere. And so it's either you go remote in some capacity or you're going to lose out on a lot of good talent. That is basically it. And that's where the majority of the work world will go. It's not to say that everybody will be working from home. I don't think that is a good idea. I think many people don't want to work from home. And they may might not should, even, should not even work from home. But we will move to a place where the company for which you work for does not have to be in the same place as you are. 
and you can move without having to change jobs. And that's it's such a massive advantage by by itself that, yeah, of course, that's the way of the world going forward. I guess your current business and your previous business, you've kind of been involved in the building of companies which are almost in, entirely remote. Whereas I guess there are companies out there that have kind of stumbled into this, you know, and maybe they've got kind of like a legacy office infrastructure. Uh, I mean, I built a business which is entirely remote and I'm I'm, gr- I'm grateful for the fact that I don't have to deal with that complexity of the the hybrid model. I mean, how do you see all of that shaking out? You know, are you a believer in the hybrid model? Do you think that remote teams and office-based teams can kind of coexist really well together? You know, what's your view on that? I think there's not a clear definition of what hybrid means, right? I think that's that's the first one. It doesn't mean that you're part of the time remote. It doesn't mean that part of the team is remote. In general, I think it's incredibly hard to make work, independent of what way that you do this is. Right? If one person is working remotely, everybody has to act as if they're working remotely. And if they don't do that, they're going to isolate that one person or that group of people. Because in the office, the distance and the ease of communication, of course, is far greater. So the, the only really good thing you can do in a situation in which you have an office that you don't want to get rid of, and some people still want to go there, is you treat it like a co-working space. And you say, everybody always works remotely. You always act as if, as if you're working remotely. No one is ever expected to be in the office, not for a meeting, not for day-to-day work, not for anything. But if you want to, if you don't want to work from home or you don't want to work from a different place, then you can come in and you can use the office to, to your liking. I think that is the only way to work. Any alternative is going to result in creating an A team and a B team where people in the office have some sort of better situation than the people outside of the office. And and I, I think for companies that do it half-half, where they say, well, certain days we work remotely, certain days we work in the office, you're going to create an even greater problem where the days that you're not in the office, you're going to behave differently, which you don't want, right? Like you want that work is always somewhat similar day-to-day so that you have access to the same kind of information and can take decisions just as fast. Do you think people are just going to kind of like learn that the hard way? Or do you have a sense of how you think that's going to play out over the next 12 to 18 months? No, they will learn it the hard way. Actually, I was talking to a friend this weekend and he was telling me that he works at a large consultancy and they're starting to go back into the office. But the employer says, look, we are remote friendly. You can work from home whenever and how much you want. And they were with a bunch of people in the office and there were two people on the invite for a meeting they had. And those two people, they were working from home or somewhere else. But they booked a meeting room without any kind of AV equipment. There was no way for them to attend the meeting in that meeting room, which was just a room with a desk and a bunch of chairs and nothing else. Yeah, people will start to realize this and they'll they'll have to learn the hard way that the only real solution to this particular scenario is everybody go back to the desk, open your laptop, and that's how, how you hold the meeting, which might feel stupid in a moment, but it's much more inclusive. That's interesting. Job, I mentioned at, at, at the start of, of the uh, the intro, you've gone from zero to unicorn in just two and a half years. So what would be good is just to understand what, what's the kind of, what part in that intense period were you most proud of? And also what, what's been the most challenging moment in that journey? I think the, the thing I'm most proud of is not like, there's not a moment, but it's the, the fact that we managed to build an incredibly kind, talented team of people from all over the world. It's a very diverse group of people. They're all very hardworking. They really care about what they're doing. And that's easily the thing I'm most proud of. I think it's genuinely a really nice place to work remote. And the most challenging thing is not necessarily the same thing, but like when you grow this fast, you know, everything feels like it's just, it's all really fast. Everything is really fast. Like the whole company is new every two months or so, every three months, right? Like we did a survey the other day. How long have you been with remote? <laughs> like most people had been there significantly less than six months. 
And by the numbers, that's the case. A year ago, we had maybe 40 employees. Today, we have about 540. And that is, in a lot of ways, very difficult because you have to constantly be moving. I had a conversation with someone the other day, and we were looking back upon the distant past, and we realized it was four weeks ago. <laughs> and everything was different back then. So that is very difficult. I think yeah. scaling a business this quick is, is very challenging. And, w- and what about at that point where you reach that unicorn status did that change the perception of the business at all in any way yeah i mean in some ways right you get more press you get more attention like it it sort of puts a banner on your company that says this is a this is a real deal like there's something here something something big it's also a bit of a vanity thing of course because like it it has no direct impact on on the day-to-day of me or my any, any of the people that we work with I know that um, when I was creating Taito, I looked out there for companies that inspired me to kind of go remote and learn from their lessons. When when you kind of look out onto the world, who do you think are the benchmark for, for doing remote work or setting up remote business models the best? I mean, beyond the obvious of remote themselves. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, but I'm going to toot my horn even more because uh, I think it's GitLab um, being one of the biggest ones. We build a lot of the way that we function based on how we did things at GitLab. And then Automatic, the creators of WordPress, I think is another organization that is really leading in this regard for many, many years. So that's basically it. There there are not that many organizations that have done this successfully in the way that we would define like a modern workplace to be working remotely. There have been a surprising number of organizations that supported remote work for many years, some of them for decades, but usually it was like for a particular set of, of, of workers in those companies and for a particular set of, of uh, functions or particular departments. So, yeah, whole organizations at this kind of scale and at this kind of level of like asynchronous, really working together, it really was only a handful of companies. Now it's thousands. And in terms of what's going on in the space, I'm guessing we're always all learning about how we can do things better. Is there kind of like a trend at the moment that you're particularly excited about in the field of remote work? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of different things that I'm excited about. The first thing is like, there's so many cool tools, right? There's so many cool tools. And I I think there's still a lot of big space to improve them. I I, I still feel like there's... We're just at the start of it. Uh, the announcement that Facebook made and then Microsoft a few days later made about their focus on the metaverse and everything that comes to that, it really, I think it's a step in this direction where we're saying we're no longer you know, bound by a particular physical location. But we're more thinking about you know, presence in the abstract, presence in a digital world. As you know, we shipped everybody VR headsets at remote since very early days. And it's basically because of this reason. It's like, how can we create some sort of form of presence without being present in person? And so I think those are things that excite me. They're not necessarily things that are here today, right? They are here if you work at remote, but even with us, like we're not actually working inside of VR yet. But it is exciting to look at that and it's moving really fast. What are you doing with those, the VR headsets? How are you using them? However we feel like, that's basically the answer, which also implies directly that we don't use them day to day. Like it's not a part of like doing our work. Like it, it, It's not possible yet unless you do a lot of effort and even then you will be less productive, but it's not possible yet to do actual day to day work on them. But you can use them to hang out with each other, to play games with each other and to get a taste of the future. And I think that is, that is the main point of this, how, how to get a taste of the future. We've done some good team golf you know, team building, that, which is great. It's kind of like you're, you're on the fairway, yeah. you're having a chat, you know, unwinding and hitting a few balls and things. It's really good, good team building. 
I'm guessing you've kind of talked about remote expansion, how you've opened up the possibility to employ people in all over the world. And I know you're very passionate about distributing opportunity and kind of opening up opportunity to people. When you look across the world, which countries do you think, if you were kind of like buying shares in a country, so to speak, you know, which countries do you think are going to do really well out of this in terms of, you know, the expanding the opportunity to recruit people from different places? I don't know about particular countries, but I can think about regions. I think South America and Africa are both booming immensely because of this, right? Like traditionally, it's been very hard to have access to great opportunities there. Pay has been incredibly low, but the quality of people is, of course, the same as everywhere else. And so... I don't know, I put a lot of money on, on Africa, <laughs> especially the regions that have been very underserved by opportunities in that sense. But yeah, same in South America. I think this is, you know, if you live in an economy that is suffering from hyperinflation, if you live under a government that is very restrictive in what you can do, and now you suddenly have access to very great opportunities, while not necessarily having to move, right? Like you might still love the place where you live, even though there's not a lot of opportunities. It's very powerful. And I think that's going to change a lot in the world. A key part of what we talked through in, in this series of, of Unicorn interviews is you know, looking at communications and, and culture within the business, just starting on the comm side, I mean, obviously, given the rise in, in remote working, there are other companies out there that do similar to what you do. So what would be great is to just understand how you, you've sort of raised awareness of the company in, in such a short space of time and how you're differentiating yourself in, in that crowded market. Well, uh, working with Brendan, that's uh, <laughs> that's been one way. Um I think we try to be authentic about what we care about, about who we are and, and what we do, right? We build a company in a very particular way, which is we say we want to do things right. And I think that is like the image that we try to share with the rest of the world. We care about what we're doing. We care about the opportunity, but also about the impact that we're having. Um, we care about doing things right, uh, which is another big one. I think those have been the... the the most important ones. We're not trying to make a quick buck, although admittedly uh, getting to a billion dollar within two and a half years is, is a lot of money, but we're not trying to make a quick buck and we're not trying to just jump on, on, on something when uh, grab the tailwind, so to say, but we're trying to do things right. And I think that is what we've been focused on. And what about building the culture of the company? How, how have you achieved that? Uh, that's a whole different thing. It's starting with the values in the organization. We wrote our values, kindness, ownership, excellence, transparency, and ambition very early on. And then we built our team on top of that. Everybody that was hired knew about these values and they knew that this is how we run our company. We, according to these values, your performance, your the way we think about what is good and what isn't good is all aligned with those values. And that's where everything starts and where everything ends. And then on top of that, yeah, if, if it, one of our first value is kindness, if you're kind to each other, it's that's a pretty solid foundation to do other things on top of, right? And uh, yeah, just make sure you hire people that match that and address it if you make mistakes. One of the things I think as um, a CEO, thinking with regard to kind of internal communications, you've got this constant challenge to be able to communicate with a lot of people with your entire company, but then also key individuals and key teams. How, how do you kind of get that balance right? How do you distinguish between, you know, how you communicate with the entire company and, you know, like more smaller groups and, and, and are there any particular unique challenges or opportunities that being a remote business present? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I, for one, I do almost everything 
out in the public or at least internally public. So even if it's communicating with a particular team, anybody could read that if they would want to do so. That's sad, like the company is so big and it, it the amount of things that are being sent across that go so incredibly fast that you can't keep up with everything. I, I stick to a few very simple things. One is I try to make it accessible to everybody, whatever it is that I share. And that means that it's very rarely like synchronous. It's usually asynchronous. I usually record a loom to, to send to people or some of them just write something. And then especially if it's to the whole company, I just make sure that it's very short, very digestible. Whereas if you work with very particular teams, uh, it's almost the other way around where sometimes you really want to get in deep and you want to do, it's a very different kind of way of communicating with each other. Yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I do think a lot about this, but it, it, there, there's not really a straightforward answer to how do you do it. I think it more, it, it also depends on the stage of the company and what it is actually that you're hoping to achieve. Totally agree with you about that point about trying to communicate as openly as possible because it kind of really helps to bring everyone with you, doesn't it? You know, that when you when you do that. Maybe it's kind of slight tangent, you know, but in terms of kind of working productively in your business, and, and some of this obviously relates to communications you mentioned, Lou, what are your kind of favorite tools that you use to, to do that? Yeah, I think one trick is to stay away from too many tools, right? And so, you know, we, we have several tools that as a company, everybody uses. We use Notion for documentation. We use Slack very intensively and Zoom very intensively. And try to not use too much around that, like other than that. Personally, it's a whole different story. I have a million gazillion tools. I have this really crazy setup. Just now I set up a thing so that if I call out to Siri, I can turn on my scanner automatically and like scan things. So that's a very different thing altogether. But from like a company perspective, we try to keep it really, really simple, not do too many crazy things. I think one of the best ways to make people productive is to teach them how to avoid meetings, which has nothing to do with tools, right? <laughs> like you can avoid meetings by having, you know, just communicating well and like wondering, do we actually need to have this meeting? Trying to keep your calendar clear. Yeah, I think that's a, a real um, thing we're grappling with actually, is that <laughs> killing meetings, you know? <laughs> like have, have you discovered what the secret to that then? Is it about, is it simply having that mental discipline of saying, do you need this meeting? I have the best blog post ever for you, Brendan. I'm going to send it to you. Do you? All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to check. Yeah, I'll check it out. No, but the, the, the trick is, is that you can never have a meeting to share information. That's useless. Useless. There's no point. If you're not having a back and forth conversation like we are having, you should not have a meeting. Because there's no point. There's no point. You're just wasting everybody's time with the overhead of communication. You should never avoid direct Communication. You should not say to each other over Slack, like, oh, we should have a meeting about this. Why don't you just have the conversation right there? Like, if this is so important, why don't you? You should never defer to the future, like future discounting, but which is, you know, cognitive bias, but it also adds the overhead of the scheduling and the coordination. And then there's a place in your calendar and then, you know, everything that comes with that. And then if you are having meetings, you have to have an agenda that is prepared and done in advance and everybody should be able to contribute to it if there's no points on the agenda nothing to discuss you should not have that meeting but the the main thing is just not have the meeting like don't even try to have the meeting don't even try to kill it just literally just delete the event of your calendar say let's do this asynchronously it almost never hurts it's almost always a blessing for everybody involved because you can just figure things out writing to each other like if you if you have something to discuss you create a shared document and you comment on it and you work it out there the only real good reason to have a single big meeting is to see each other 
to enjoy seeing each other and to talk to each other and to enjoy doing that or to enjoy collaborating. Not necessarily because it's more efficient, but sometimes it's nice. If you send us the link to the blog post, we'll put it in the uh, in the notes for the for the uh, for the podcast when we publish yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. And sort of going back to this thing about your you know communication. So thinking about your role as an external spokesperson and representative of the company, how do you see that? What do you kind of see your responsibility as? I think in part it's truly being representative of the company, uh, both present and future, right? I want to set a certain tone for the company as a brand, as what we care about, as what we are thinking about, as how we are. That's one, and I think that's really important in almost every possible way, right? But both represent us as a brand towards customers, also to all the employees that we employ, also to future people that want to work directly for us. I think that's the most important thing. And then I, I try to stay true to who I am. I, I don't really have two personas or more than two personas. I just, I, I'm just me. I'm the same person. When I walk out of this room, I talk with my wife. It's the same person. I think that helps a lot because, one, uh, I don't become this magical CEO person, which I don't really enjoy. And and on the other hand, people enjoy just listening to someone that is talking normally. <laughs> not, it's not too, too far up of their own ass. And have you always been a natural communicator or is it something you've had to kind of make a plan to get better at? No, I, d- I never really thought about it. I, I've been a reasonably good, I, I think my most vivid memory has been doing presentations in high school and enjoying doing that. So yeah, I think I've reasonably enjoyed that. Yeah. What would you say has been your biggest communications challenge that you've had that you've faced in in your career? I wouldn't. I have no idea. Nothing stands out. Yeah, I think. I think in, in terms of like public and and like public communications, nothing really. Like it's never been really challenging. I've definitely had to deal with people that were just blatantly unfriendly, unfair, or rude to me many times. Like as recent as a few days ago. It's kind of part of the job, but I think I deal reasonably well with those kind of situations. I think the trick in in all of this is to just be kind to each other. That's it. That's all you can do. And then uh, if someone is unfriendly to you, you feel bad and you go do something fun. (laughs) Just picking up on what you were saying about doing presentations at high school, uh, the, the the most recent interview that we did on this series was with Kabir Sahani of Amperity, and he was talking about sort of being really thankful that his parents pushed him into doing drama classes and things like that, speech at school. How important do you think that is for an entrepreneur to get those skills so early in you know in, in life? Well, I mean, by the time you're an entrepreneur, you can't make the decision anymore to go back in your childhood. Well, no, say. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you, if you're, you have to be lucky to be lucky, I suppose. But I, I do think that... If you're not able to present, right? If you're uncomfortable with presenting, that is something to work on. And it, it, actually, it's it's one of those awful things that the best way to do it is to just do more of it, right? I used to be really nervous. Like everybody, I was good. I knew I was a pretty good presenter, but I used to be quite nervous before getting on stage. And everybody is, still is, you know, if you're presenting at a big conference, of course, everybody, literally everybody, no matter who you think about, everybody's a little bit nervous. But now much less. And the reason it is much less than it used to be is because I did it a lot. At one point, you start to get used to it. You start to get comfortable. Um, it helps to be confident about what you're talking about, right? Which is another one of those things. Is like if you're just confident, and confidence can come not just from being, you know, self-absorbed, but it can also come from the fact that you're just true to what you want to say. If you're just honest and open, to me, that is basically been my life's hack. Which is okay. I'm just 
very open and very honest about everything. And so if you ask me something that I'm not prepared for, I don't know, or I'm embarrassed about, I'll literally just say that rather than trying to avoid it. And that makes you much less nervous because it sort of takes away all the worries of like, I have to perform and translates it into, I just have to be, and that's, that's sufficient. Brilliant. Well, we've just got a few more questions, so let's hope for some honest and open answers to, to these. These are just um, you know quick fire ones to, to finish off the podcast. The first one is: What's kind of initial decision do you think is most vital to building a, a successful business? Uh, committing to it. You need to make a commitment that you're really going to do it. You can't half-ass building a business. You mentioned earlier in the chat your, that your first business didn't go to plan um but, but but so maybe it's connected to that i don't know but what what's the kind of the biggest mistake that you've made along your entre- entrepreneurial journey and you know how did you deal with that yeah that's a good question but I, I don't think you really made big mistakes as in if you if you want to start a business you're going to make a gazillion mistakes and it's going to be really painful along the way it was in the past and it is still at remote like we make big you know, we make mistakes all the time it's more about like how do you deal with it and how do you move on in my first business we didn't know what we were doing same co-founders as marcelo as well we didn't know what we were doing, but I didn't have any personal runway. Like I had no money. Like if money ran out for five months, and it was not sufficient time for us to build, like to make money, to start making money as a business. And so what was the mistake? Well, it was not a mistake. It was a good move. Like I tried something, it was really difficult. And I learned the hard way that, yeah, it's there, there are situations where you have to think of some fallback or, or try to make money in a different way. At the time, I simply didn't have the money. I didn't have the connections. I don't regret it. Like it was a, it was a, good, it was a good experience, and it set me off this path on which I'm now. But yeah, at remote, yeah, I, I think I think the biggest mistakes you can make is not following up, not fixing things. If you feel like I did something wrong, you know, that can be anything. I made the wrong decision. I took the wrong turn. I hired the wrong person. I bought the wrong thing. The worst thing you can do is just sit with that and and let it be. I think. In that situation, you should always deal with it as fast as you can. Well, this this final question kind of leads on from that, because if you could go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give about communication specifically? So in terms of what steps would you encourage yourself in order to take you and your company and, and the business, you know, to enable them to excel in, in communications? Whew. I have no idea. I would say that, <laughs> I would say do or zero. You kind of feel like you're doing it right now. I think everything worked out really well. Be confident. Be yourself. Don't don't worry about that, those things. I think that is the most important part. Just be yourself. Brilliant. Good place to uh, to finish. Yo, th- thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join us online today and recording this. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, Brendan, um, obviously, and uh, you're kind of alluded to this. You you guys already work with remote, but that's another you know great unicorn interview that we've recorded. But what were your thoughts on what he had to say? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we've obviously remote work has been a big theme of a lot of our conversations over the past 18 months because of how companies have had to manage um, with the pandemic. And um, so having an authority like Job, who is kind of like one of the foremost experts in this area, was great. And I thought that the, what he had to say about hybrid work and his concerns about companies maybe getting that experiment wrong and and kind of being unable to or kind of not going really through t- taking the the right approach as how they manage their employees when they're split between office based and not office based i thought that was really interesting and i share his 
view that that you really do need to go all in. It doesn't mean that everyone needs to work from home or everyone needs to work, you know, from any particular location, but you have to treat everyone equally. Otherwise, you're going to kind of create some serious frictions and serious kind of communications issues. So I thought that was the thing that really stood out for me. Yeah, it was interesting. It's the first kind of conversation I've had where that kind of opinion was quite strong. And and the more you think about it, there there will be that. Like, like you said, even if you're doing a few days in the office, those couple of days when you're not in the office, there's that almost fear of missing out, isn't there? It's like, oh, what, what what's happening at the office today that I'm not involved in? And that will be a challenge, definitely. Definitely. Okay, well, listen, if you want to find out more about Remote, then their website is very simply, it's remote.com. And of course, we'd love to hear your comments about today's chat. And you can share them on our Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, or in the comments of the YouTube version of this podcast. And those are all linked from the top of our website at csweetpodcast.com, where you'll find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Apple and Spotify. And if you've liked what you've heard, please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, we're of course available on all podcast apps Uh, just search for the c-suite podcast and hit follow or subscribe Uh, you can also subscribe to the without borders podcast from our partners at taito all the details for that are on their website just head to taitopr.com and uh, click on the podcast link in the top nav bar Uh, plus you can also download a copy of growing without borders the unicorn ceo guide to communications and culture uh, from taito's website and that is a great overview of the first 15 of our unicorn interviews if you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of this series please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at csweetpodcast.com plus of course anyone can get in touch too with any feedback you may have and finally you can also reach me via twitter using at ross goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye (laughs) 